This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. We have a special guest on today. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple a couple things that are uh, in the news. Uh, Pat Cummings of the Thoroughbred Ideas Foundation will be with us. We're going to talk about um, the recently re- concluded Royal Ascot meet where there was a couple incidents in the stretch and these um, uh, Mr. Cummings has been a, a big proponent of of a different classification of rules regarding disqualifications. Uh, unlike the United States system, they're employed over in England. And uh, there was two main examples during this recently concluded Royal Ascot meet where the, the differences in the rules uh, were certainly clear um, with one example of uh, a horse that clearly fouled another horse not uh, not getting disqualified, and um, a second incident with uh, Campanelle of, of, of Wesley Ward and Stone Street wind up getting moved up uh, after being herded <laughs> roughly uh, 18 paths. Um, in the United States, it would have not even, uh, it would have been the rare call that everyone agreed with, and uh, over there, um, there was a, a considerable amount of time spent uh, trying to determine if they were going to, uh, to to make the change, which they ultimately did. Um, but we'll talk about that uh, once again. And um, I'll be I'll be honest. Admittedly, I'm on the fence. I don't uh, I don't like some of the way the rules in this country are applied. I think the inconsistency. Uh, it seems like different um, standards apply, and the rules. In some places, really handcuff um, uh, the people, uh, the steward, you know, the stewards. Um, but for the most part, it, it's 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 kind of uh, roughly applied, I guess. Um, the European rules are, are, are a lot, a lot more is allowed. Essentially, the difference is that. Um, if the horse was going to win anyways, regardless of the egregiousness of the of the foul, they let him stand. Um, and that that would be a difficult uh, a difficult standard in this country. Uh, Barry and I talked about it on the, on the podcast last night on the Big Monday show, and just the changeover would be difficult. There would be uh, very difficult to, to get everyone on board. Uh, we're also going to talk about fixed. Fixed odds wagering, which uh, passed in the uh, New Jersey legislature yesterday uh, unanimously. And fixed odds wagering is essentially um, it's not going to replace the parimutuel system. I mean, it never will replace the parimutuel system. And it, it has a lot of issues with it. Um, there's, it's not going to be uh, something I think that's going to revolutionize the sport at all, 
But uh, it is interesting. Um, and New Jersey seems like they're going to be the first, uh, the first um, state on board trying to. Um, they've they've hooked up with an Australian company to try to uh, implement this, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And uh, we'll talk about talk to Pat about that. And uh, Pat recently concluded a twelve part series on wagering security in this country. Uh, which unfortunately got a little bit overshadowed by um, the, the the Bob Baffert Triple Crown, where there was breaking news literally every day. Um, but it, it's a really, really in-depth um, view. It's kind of a uh, a sobering look as well. Um, but uh, Pat did a really good job on that, and uh, I would I would uh, recommend anyone going to the Thoroughbred Ideas Foundation website and, and checking that out. Um, uh, Pat, are you there? Hi, Chuck. Nice to speak to you today, uh, Mr. Mr. Cummings. It's uh, a pleasure, as always. Absolutely the same. Well, it's good, good to be back with you. Uh, well, we have, a, you know, we have a number of topics today. Um, I think we'll start out with the one that, that might have the most interest to people because it's, it's seemingly a topic that's... Uh, that, that always rears its its ugly head every every couple of weeks, and and that would be the disqualification uh, rules. And uh, there was two really prime examples of the differences between our rules and the rules that are, are found um, in uh, in Europe, especially in England, um, during the Royal Ascot meet, which of course is uh, you know the top of the top, the best of the best, and. Uh, you know, you have these these huge fields uh, over there, and um, you know the the two uh, the two races we're talking about. Well, you know there was there was one where the horse clearly fouled the other horse <laughs> um, under left hand it whipping, by the way, uh, and and was dismissed very quickly. And then then there was the other the Wesley Ward um, race where after uh, seemingly. Uh, day-long deliberation they, they finally did you know make the disqualification uh go ahead and, and just explain to people you know a quick little synopsis of, of the rules that are in effect uh, in england yeah there's a couple things here first one i guess would be um the infrastructure and the second would be the rules themselves first from an infrastructure standpoint uh horse players need to realize that the way in which uh jurisdictions the, the, the top jurisdictions outside of North America, how they handle some sort of interference, inquiry, objection, protest, however you want to, want to deem it, um, it's typically very different in the way in which they deal with it in North America. As we know, it's the image of the jockey picking up a phone near the scales and you know talking and answering a couple questions, typically to either one steward on the other phone or uh, on speakerphone. And we've seen different versions of this. Every now and then we get a glimpse into the steward's room here in, in the U.S., uh, Canada, most typically not, but in the U.S., you know, some are doing it. And, um, you know, you, you get a little shot of what's going on, and it's a bunch of TVs, and, and there's no face-to-face -face contact, um, anything like that. The jockey or the steward's, tend to be up in a perch, um, high above the action, and 
that's where they stay and, and do all of this. That's not how it works everywhere else. And I was very fortunate to, in my role in Hong Kong, be very closely linked with the stewards, and I was given the opportunity every race day I was there to sit in the stewards' room, uh, basically just about any time I chose, but, but um, uh, in particular at the end of the day to provide a brief synopsis to the Hong Kong racing media so that they could get some of the key facts of the day's reporting out, um, suspensions, fines, things of that nature, uh, in advance of the stewards making their official report just for the, the, the purposes of time and preparing them for what might be coming from the stewards. So um, I got to witness this day in and day out for, for three full racing seasons in Hong Kong. It was fantastic, and it really shapes my opinion. And what should be noted here is that not just in Hong Kong, but pretty much everywhere in what we'll call the developed racing world, uh, England, Europe, Asia, Australasia, uh, even in South Africa, uh, jockeys meet face-to-face with the stewards throughout the entirety of the race day. So the stewards oftentimes will only go upstairs, quote-unquote, to watch the race. And that's almost the entirety of the extent of them being upstairs. The vast remainder of the day is spent in a room typically adjacent to the jockey's room, near it in some capacity, where the stewards can access the jockeys throughout the course of the day. Uh, Jockeys come back and report to the stewards on a variety of things that have happened, Horses, um, you know, how, why they performed the way they did, why they were ridden the way they were ridden, anything they felt that was strange that they want to report, uh, and then also to be questioned by the stewards about incidents of careless riding, riding tactics, why certain things were done in certain ways based on the observations of the race, betting patterns, and that sort of thing. And, of course, inquiries and objections. And in those cases, all of the jockeys, and sometimes the trainers too, are brought into the room and are facing a panel of stewards, sometimes three, sometimes five, sometimes seven, uh, depends on the jurisdiction, and they will question directly. Sometimes those questions go directly through a chief steward. Sometimes the entire panel asks questions, but it does vary. And there is this constant daily interaction that takes place between jockey and steward. We know that doesn't happen here on race day. It just is not the way in which things work. So infrastructurally, I think it's important to to understand the difference and why what comes out of these interactions is public detail that is shared between the stewards and the public. They take this information, they summarize it, and they report it. So allow me, Chuck, if you will, to just read what the stewards publish about the situation in the Commonwealth Cup mm-hmm. that you know led to Campanelle for Wesley Ward being um, uh, made, declared the winner. So the report they published said the following. An inquiry was held to consider the placings in this race following interference over the final furlong and a half when the winner, Dragon Symbol, ridden by Ashin Murphy, 
Interfield with Campanelle playing second, written by Frankie Dettori. The stewards considered that the interference had improved Dragon Symbol's placing, as at the time of interference, both horses were traveling equally as well. And they believed that the distance lost by Campanelle, who was taken notably off her intended line and bumped on a minimum of two occasions, equated to more than the head by which she was beaten. Murphy was suspended for four days for careless riding for allowing his mount to hang right-handed for a sustained period without sufficient correction, making contact with Campanelle on a couple of occasions and causing her to be taken notably off her intended line. They ordered the placings to be revised. That is a full explanation. Now, they could have more. They could tell you what DeTory said or what Murphy said in the actual inquiry, but you know, they don't really necessarily think that mattered as to the consideration. Now, last week, I tweeted after the incident a series of questions that stewards uh, operating under the rules of the British Horse Racing Authority are asked to consider. And these are essentially guiding principles, capital G, capital P, that the stewards are required to take into account. And this is some very interesting detail because it gives you an idea of exactly what the stewards need to know um, before they make their decision. So here are those five questions. And this is in every British horse race. One. Where did the incident take place in relation to the winning post? Two, how were the horses involved in the interference going at the time of the incident? So to put that in perspective, was the horse backing up? Was the horse tiring? Or was the horse uh, in contention, fighting for position, still, uh, still within the fray, so to speak? Question three, how serious was the interference, i.e., how much momentum did the sufferer lose and or how much ground was lost? Question four. If the sufferer had an uninterrupted run to the line, might, might it have finished in front of the interferer? If no, the steward should order the placings to remain unaltered. If yes i.e., there is some doubt, proceed to question five. Question five, how easily did the interferer beat the sufferer? So you can see how the stewards in England here would have outlined this case. Where did the incident take place? From a furlong and a half out to the finish. How were the horses involved in the interference going at the time of the incident? Pretty much at the same time. You know, they, they were they were they were head to head. They were they were in clear contention. Question three: How serious was the interference? I.e., how much momentum did the sufferer lose, and/or how much ground was lost on the head-on? Dragon symbol comes across eight paths, um, bumping with Campanella a couple times. You know, they were practically on the level when the interference began. Okay. If Campanelle had an uninterrupted run to the line, might she have finished in front of Dragon Symbol? The stewards to that answered yes, or at least suggested 
there is some doubt. The question then, go to question five, how easily did Dragon Simba beat uh, Campanelle? It was only ahead. Um, and then here's the, the, the next part. Having considered those factors relevant to the incident in question, if the stewards panel is satisfied that on the balance of probabilities, the interference did improve the placing of the interferer in relation to the sufferer, okay, saying the dragon symbol was better because of this than Campanelle, the placings must be altered. Otherwise, the, the placings must remain unaltered. Generally speaking, this is, again, this is in the principle. Generally speaking, the longer the panel discusses whether the placing should be altered, the less likely it is that they should be. If the panel is unable to conclude one way or the other, the result should stand. After reaching a decision on placings, which should be announced immediately, Turn back to careless writing in order to continue your deliberations on that. I mean, this is textbook what it should be here. Just textbook. Instead, we have a dog's breakfast, right? I mean, it's, it's a mess. It varies state to state, track to track. Um, this was fantastic. Uh, very easily uh, understood, um, clearly delineated, as, as practically as clear as you could possibly get. Can I ask you a Comparing question? It, I'm going to ask go, you a question. And yeah, go ahead. It, it may not, it, you may not have the answer to this. Why did it take so long? So that goes to the infrastructure, right? The infrastructure is they cannot really do anything until DeTori and Murphy are sitting down in the stewards room with the stewards. So as much as the bing bing goes off um, and everyone knows there is a stewards inquiry, um, that happened when, when Murphy was, was still bringing the horse back, right? So they don't really start the full process until Murphy is sitting down with them. He brings the horse back. There's some photos that are already taken. He has to get off the horse, uh, head inside, sit down. They have to establish everybody who is present. There's a transcript that's typically taken. There's a recording of these things. And there are questions then that will be asked of the stewards. So um, compared to the infrastructure that we have here in the States, uh, they put up the sign um, stewards can take a look at it, but all they need is for the jockey to hop on the phone to ask a couple questions. Now, technically, they don't even need to be doing that, right? There are questions to be asked as to whether or not it's really meaningful to ask the, the jockey's questions. I still think it is for the purposes of the record and, and a, a, a case, but it doesn't have to happen. Um but all that happens, you know, in, in the American system, typically relatively quickly. The jockeys don't have to walk anywhere. Uh, they don't have to go anywhere. And the stewards are already fully ensconced in their location where they're going to review this matter out of typically the view of the public. So um, it's there are processes and procedures in place. They want to get the case laid out in case there is an appeal. 
Um, whereas in the case of, say, uh, you know, appeals here in America, there's no recording of those calls. There are no transcripts. It's just what, whatever the, the, the stewards say the jockey said, whatever the jockey said, they say, tell the stewards. I mean, that, that's it. Um, so, again, it's a far more serious, um, regulated, frankly, confidence-building approach that is presented here um, in the British system. And, and that, that would be why it, it quote-unquote, takes so long. To, to compare it to something else, you could say, why does it take so long ordinarily to make a race official in a foreign jurisdiction? Because they almost all take longer than it takes in America. And the answer is, they do not make the race official until they have weighed all of the place-getting jockeys. And until that weight is confirmed, they will not make the race official. And if a, if a jockey comes back um, under the required weight um, within, uh, you know, within whatever the reasons, uh, the, the, the measures are set out uh, in place, then, then there can be a change of the placings. But uh, they wait. Um, this has been something I've, I've talked about for a long time. You know, a, a horse, a, a jockey can come back, come back five pounds underweight, but the race is made official before the horse is even within sight of the winner's circle in this country. Um, Business-wise, we've, we've accepted that to say we want to get the money flowing and, and get things moving again, but is it really the most um, professional, straightforward, um, confidence-inducing approach? I don't, I don't think so, what we're doing now. So that would be wrong. I'm, I'm in the, um, I'm in the, I don't think they should be talking to the jockeys camp. I just don't it's think. A legitimate, there's a legitimate argument. I just so don't I'm see gonna, what benefit yeah. you're going to get. I mean, in the history of horse racing, as a jockey ever said, eh, he really didn't follow me that bad. I mean, and I do believe that uh, this is the, an argument that's been made before, is that um, certain individuals who are just literally better public speakers are going to be able to state their case in a more efficient manner than than others, uh, especially those that that uh, might might have English as a second language and um in, you know with, with a group of stewards that maybe isn't as proficient in Spanish either and I just don't see what it brings to the table and and I would be much more inclined to to support a system that didn't have them speaking to the jockeys other than um some you know extraordinary circumstance um and and having that done in a post-race fashion maybe the next morning uh, sit, sit the guys down, take, you know, uh, especially if you're going to dole out some punishment, um, then you can hear the explanations as to, you know, what they thought or, or what was going on or the ex, you know, why this happened or, um, to me, it, it, it's almost two different situations. It's, it's the first situation is adjudicating what just happened, uh, and making a call, whether it's, it's going to be a, a, a disqualification or not. 
And the second part, that second process is, um, you know, what kind of penalty the jockey is going to, to get, if, if, if any. But, um, you know, the thing I worry about, Pat, is that we see a lot of rough riding in this country. And I think that um, some of the worst offenders are the top guys who are riding the best horses, who are often going to win by open links and, and, and often would be spared um, disqualification. And I just wonder if in our, you know, with our legal system, um, would it be possible to have uh, enough of a deterrent of giving a guy uh, a lot of days and then more days and then, you know, making it a, a really um, expensive proposition to com- to keep committing fouls even though they're not getting disqualified for it. That, that's just, uh, um, you know, that's just a worry to me that guys are just going to take advantage, especially in, in the language that, that states uh, how far or you know, close you are to the winning post, almost saying, well, yeah, going to the first turn, guy on the outside in the turf might just come over and take off, take out nine horses um, because it happened in the beginning of the race and a lot of them were also runs anyways. Uh, and I'm just being, you know, a little bit of a devil's advocate, but, um, you know, I, I can see, I can see the, the light on both sides and, uh, you know, Barry and I talked about it last night, and, and one of the problems that we can see right from the start is that if you said, all right, as of July 1st, we're going to go to um, the rules that, that are used in England, I mean, you would have people like literally trying to burn down the grandstand when there was a DQ made, or not, a, a, a horse that, um, you know, like, like the first case over in, in, in uh, Ascot, I think on the first day where the horse yes. came over and, and, and clearly... You know, impeded the other horse, and they left them up. I mean, if you did that at Saratoga, they'd be flipping benches over. Yeah, and it's totally understandable as to why they'd flip the benches, and that's because there is a long legacy of adjudicating the race in a one particular fashion. Right, we are accustomed to a certain level of um, action. Uh, right, uh, that is that is going to be taken. Um, and whether it's fair or unfair, you know, like I mentioned earlier, is the horse backing up? Is that being considered? How is the horse going? And how many times have we seen a horse that is, is backing up that, that may get interfered with, right? A, a, an improving horse comes down on a horse that is retreating. The jockey, you know, steps on the brakes, pulls, loses a position as a result, and the horse that has gone on to a clear victory is demoted. Um, that that does happen. In the case that you referenced, it was the St. James's Palace Stakes, where Mostadoff uh, came down on uh, Namus, and uh, there was no action taken. Um, they did consider the interference. Um, the outcome is that the jockey was suspended for four days for careless riding. Um, so you know you, you had uh, you had that incident that was was well considered, and um, I think there was another one. Was that? Uh, 
Let me just take a look at these stewards reports here. I think there might have been an incident on Wednesday. Let me just look. Maybe not. Um, of course, you did have the incident, uh, and this is a place where the British rules run afoul of the global standards, even most North American standards. On uh, Wednesday, day two of Royal Ascot, where Stunning Beauty in the Kensington Palace stakes the last race on day two, uh, through no fault of his own, um, still had the blindfold on, did not break from the starting gate, and still was deemed to have been a starter. And the steward did come out there and basically said, we don't have the power to declare a horse a non-runner, um, a non-starter, if it had been prevented from starting because of some fault, uh, you know, some, some random thing like what, what happened. Um, and as a result, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars were declared live action on a horse that, that never left the stalls uh, because of some, someone else's fault, essentially. Yeah. And the, the old line uh, from Kim Kelly, the chief steward in Hong Kong, is if, if uh, in order to win money, you have to have had the, or excuse me, in order to lose your money, you have to have had the chance to win it. And this horse, you didn't even have a chance to win it. So how could we not give money back here on, on that occasion? And that's actually a place where the British rules have failed. And look, I can tell you, we've, we've got some things in the works to try and draw more attention to this and, um, get that change because there's American money in these pools too. Uh, plenty of it during Royal Ascot. It's on national television here uh, for five days. Uh, so you know, we, we, we should be doing something about that and uh, getting that international harmonization. Um, if, if we move to these rules, uh, the Category 1 interference rules, Chuck, number one, it's going to take a while. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. And it needs to be met with a lot of communication, a lot of PR. It needs to be met with transition periods. It needs to be met with increased transparency and increased reporting. All things we don't have. So uh, it's going to take a while. It will leave us with a better sport. But it's, you know, this is a campaign. It's a longstanding one. And I think it will make horse racing better. But I, I cannot blame any longstanding participant in the sport who looks at this and says, ah, the rules are fine. They've always been fine. We just deal with them. Um, because, frankly, it's not those persons' jobs to look out for betters or to look out for anything other than how people you know, train horses or ride horses. Whatever. There need to be people looking out for the sustainability of the sport customer service to the horse players who keep the sport going and, and are looking to harmonize rules for the greater sake of horse racing. You need those entities. And frankly, we don't have a lot of them. No, that's, that's, uh, that's very, very true. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to get anything done in, in, in regards to stewards decisions. And I mean, it's hard to get people, I mean, just, just, just recently, have we started getting um, even more than rudimentary explanations after the race, which would seem to be, uh, you know, a relatively easy task to, to accomplish? But um, you know, the, some of the stewards' reports and things that are done in other jurisdictions, Hong Kong especially, um, you know, we just don't see that here, and and, that, and that's I mean, I've always had an, an issue with that. I, 
um, I mean, I started in the standard bread side of the business, and I spent a lot of time when I first got out of school and worked at Yonkers. Um, one of my duties was to put the numbers on the board, uh, you know, like the numbers you see uh, underneath the horses, the running lines. Well, mm-hmm. there was no trackers. I was trackers at that point. <laughs> so um, one of the duties was to do that for each race, and, and the the system was inside the steward's stand, the judge's stand, mm-hmm. you know, they called them judges. And so I spent a lot of time in there, um, and there would be, you know, questionable drives or questionable performances, and they would get, they would call the trainer, the, the driver, right there, and 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 say, you know, what was that? What, you know, what, what's what's going on? How come your horse is showing speed four consecutive weeks, and today you you got off last? And uh, they would ask drivers about tactics and things like that. Um, you know, sometimes getting a, a valid answer, sometimes not getting such a valid answer, but at the very least, they called. Um, I ran, you know, I trained for almost twenty years. I had uh, lots of horses get beat at beaten, you know, as beaten favorites, just not show up at all. Um, like like every trainer, I mean, it happens, right? I was never one time ever contacted by a steward and asked, "Hey, your horse was three to five and uh, you know stopped at the quarter pole. <laughs> like, got any explanation for us? Is there anything you know like like we should know? I mean, nothing. I mean, nothing. And if if the horse didn't uh, bleed out of its nose or uh, appear lame where they would go on the uh, the vets list it was basically you know draw a line through it and come back the next time and i think that it's it's something that at the very least the participants should know that there is some oversight of some sort uh some ways and i'm not saying that um you know you're gonna say hey yeah listen uh you know uh, the horse wasn't prepared to run and I shouldn't have run. I mean, you're not going to get that. But sometimes just uh, like, like when you drive down the highway and there's a police car sitting there, even if there's no one in it, yeah, it's going to at least be in the back of your mind that, hey, I better slow down. Maybe when I do drive past it, someone will be in it and uh, they're going to nab me. And, and that's one of the things I think that... Uh, you know, we have a, a, a weakness in, and, and like, you know, Barry and I were still speaking about, the, the one thing that the horse racing industry in, in North America is not particularly adept at is uh, education. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're not real good at uh, explaining things. And, uh, you know, to be frank, a lot of the people within the business don't really understand the rules as well as they should either. Uh, I mean, I've heard rules stated that just literally don't exist. And, um, you know, that, I think that uh, a more informed um, customer is, is a better informed. And I think people want it. I mean, I, I am, I've been pretty strong in my stance that we don't need to dumb everything down. And that if people aren't smart enough to look at past performances and get something out of them, uh, and, 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 you know, in a different manner, if people aren't uh, able to understand what the rules are uh, of, you know, just be with disqualifications then they're not going to be customers for that long anyways so that that, that's my you know that that's been my take uh, all along and that we we sometimes you know set the bar a little bit too low and and that's that's the you know we we wound up with the roulette bets um and and it's just uh to me it's silly because it's a numbers game it's a data game and and people more than ever are, are into that type of 
um, uh, you know, analytical um, process. I mean, look at how analytics have taken over uh, sports. And, and I know a lot of people kind of cringe, but they don't even know that, you know, uh, they're, not, they're not really even understanding. They're just complaining, well, uh, you know, this guy, uh, the analytics and blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is that there's a reason that, that this has happened and and this is the ultimate analytic game, or at least it should be. And, um, and uh, you know, we, we have a hard time timing our races properly. <laughs> you know, so that that's <laughs> why... Go, the list goes on. <laughs> yeah, that, that, um, that's why it's like, God, you know what? Pat's right in a lot of ways, but like, it's more about the more more than the rules. It's just the implementation of it and and how difficult it is to just to literally get people in this industry to discuss something, to talk about it, to to acknowledge it is is not an easy task. And um, I mean, like I said before, yes, there are some jurisdictions that are starting to explain the disqualification in, in a little bit. Um, more detailed manner other than well he cut this horse off and he cut that horse off and you know he's coming down and blah 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 but uh you know it, it's the one it's, it's kind of why i started out because it's something that people anyone that's ever watched a race or made a bet um you know it's going to remember i, I remember I, I just flipping through youtube the other day uh the race i think the santa anita handicap with the wicked north in it uh god it's so many years ago now <laughs> where where he was taken down and and he would not have been taken down under the the um the rules that are you know in effect at, at Royal Ascot uh, yeah. he, he was clearly best and uh, um it was kind of it was a really controversial DQ at that time it, it was uh um you know something that that it wasn't it wasn't quite up to the Alamu's uh you know we took the wrong <laughs> horse down but uh it, it was something that um you know was on national tv as well which which of course is, yeah. is always uh back then there was no tvg there was no internet al gore hadn't invented it yet so we didn't even have that so it was uh you know for us to see a race from california was was a unique thing and to see a disqualification was was even more than that maybe it wasn't the the san anita handicap but uh yeah, yeah, I think it was a San Anita handicap. Yeah, I, 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 was was. At, I was yeah. at Goldstream. I was working for Tom Skiffington at the time. So I, I'm pretty I, I, sure I was at that um, that race is in our white paper um, about Category 1 versus Category 2 rules. I'm pretty sure we have a YouTube of that in there. Um, the points you raise are all spot on. Um, there's no argument about it, Chuck. Um, about the industry and kind of the, the lackadaisical approach to these things and the hard work that's required to get it done. Um, all true. Um, to those points, I would like to say, number one, when it comes to doing something new or something better, the examples are out there for us to follow. We do not have to reinvent the wheel. For reasons that I cannot explain, we seemingly do not look to the rest of the racing world for how to execute in improved racing operations, um, stewarding, reporting, transparency. Um, so many other places in the racing world are doing this better than we are, and for reasons that I, I can't quite explain, um, this country has not done that well. And so in our wagering and security um, publication, 
the full version of which is all combined, and there will be a PDF version coming out that's much prettier than anything on the website um, that you'll be able to download for free. Uh, the It's really one of the great things that we say that basically everything we're recommending here is in place somewhere else. We would just have to adopt it. So it's not literally inventing a process or a, or a procedure that is brand new and has never been implemented in horse racing. It is something that can be done uh, by existing um, or is being done. And, and you could talk to people about how do you do this and how do you do that, and you can learn from them. So you have a real, real running start into it. Um, so that is, a, I, I think, a, a serious positive um, to... Uh, you know, some of your other points, um, we cannot let perfect get in the way of the improved. And it's not even saying it's good or better. We're definitely not going to be best. But we can improve in so many areas um, existing practices and procedures that are just too far behind the times they, they, they do not meet the needs of customers, whether it be from a transparency standpoint, a wagering, uh, wagering integrity standpoint, um, just basically being good stewards of our sport. Um, we can't let the fact that perfect is not going to be possible get in the way of that, right? So, so there are going to be times where Category 1 may fall short of the mark, um, there are far too many times where Category 2 interference rules are way short of the mark, don't even come close to what we should be doing, don't even come close to fair treatment, just ridiculous. The states of New Jersey and Ohio come to mind as states where basically a foul is a foul. You bumped me three miles uh, from the finish in a three-and-a-quarter-mile race, um, if, if, you know, I could have been fifth instead of sixth in that race, uh, you can take me down for that. That's New Jersey. That's Ohio these days. Um, which is likely to be more fair to the greatest number of people? Yeah, but a different rule set. Category one, for sure. Um, you want to, you want to eliminate situations that are not just unfeasible, but um, to turn customers off. And a great way to turn customers off would be to institute Category 1 and not change the penalty structure on jockeys, yeah, right? Right, right? So you right. can do whatever you want, and you'll get two days. It's also ridiculous, right? Um, so, again, it, it, it all works hand-in-hand. Hand. I've heard all the arguments, Um and, and there is no uh, convincing me that the status quo is, is better. Now, that concept applies to other things, too. And I hear it with the argument of people talking against fixed odds um, all the time. Uh, and and it, it's not much of a retort, but have you noticed how things have been going the last two decades in a paramutual <laughs> monopoly like U.S. horse racing, not great. Handles down over 50% adjusted for inflation in America from 2000 to 2020. I don't 
mean to say that fixed odds is going to somehow turn that around and bring that number positive. I'm not saying that. But is the best we could have been doing a 50% inflation-adjusted loss in handle over the last two decades? Probably not. We could be doing some other things. So um, if you don't think the number that the horsemen are going to get is exactly what it should be, if you don't think you're going to be able to get on a $10,000 win bet every time and you, you win a, a disproportionate amount of the times, if you don't think you, you, you'll be able to do that and therefore fixed odds is bad, or I hear all these just extreme arguments against it without the consideration that the status quo is just so unsustainable. Um, we need to be trying new things and full props to New Jersey for getting that through. The governor's expected to sign it. I, I suppose soon they, they, there's an article of TDN and blood horse, uh, talking about the expectations that this will be coming out, uh, by Haskell day, uh, a couple of weeks from now. That's great. It's a great step forward. It's not going to solve all our problems. It's a, it's a great step forward. Um, how it turns out, we'll see. We'll see. A lot of variables in this sport. But uh, I think our, our potential future is better with it than without it. I, I think sometimes people get, um, get carried away with, and, and this is partly because this is how the industry has often brought things to the market uh, as a, you know, the new better silver you know this is the new uh, magic bullet that's going to fix everything you know like we heard about the triple crown for so long right <sighs> we just need a triple crown winner and i always used to say what the hell is the triple crown winner gonna do for the other 90 percent of racing after the triple crown's over and the horse is retired i mean it's a nice thing to have it gets some publicity but it doesn't change the sport structurally in any way shape or form and um, and I think that fixed odds betting is, is an interesting concept. And I, and I think that uh, having it, it's certainly not going to be a, a big negative. Uh, but I also think that it's not going to have nearly the impact that it would have um, outside of maybe some big days. And that, you know, you're essentially booking the bets. And yeah. they're not going to let guys who consistently beat them do it. <laughs> You know, just like every other sports book uh, in, in America or in the world, if you keep beating them, they're going to stop taking your action. And it's it's just, uh, you know, there is no inherent right to make a bet, unfortunately. So that is going to be the situation. Uh, it, it's not really going to be for guys who bet a lot of money. Uh, it's not going to be for the pros. It's not going to be for the really sharp guys. It's going to be more of a, um, you know, for, for the, the guys that bet $20. Um, and you know, they bet $20 a race, not the guys that bet 2000 a race. And, and that's okay. And that's, and that's okay. Exactly. And that's okay. And it's like you said, it's not like, uh, it's not like the, um, the panacea. It's not going to, Oh my God, this is going to, you know, fix racing, but you're, you're adding something that, that might have a little bit of value. Uh, I just think sometimes we might get into, a, a, you might wind up with a, um, you're going to wind up with some disgruntled people once they get shut out, once they get cut off, and they don't take their action anymore because that's going to happen. I mean, listen, it's going to happen. Yep. Um, 
And it, interesting it, point to, to that, Chuck, is that as this evolved in Australia over time, Australia's um, the different states there. It's, it's also state run, uh, similar to the U.S. state to state, Victoria, New South Wales. They put in mandates that said if you are a licensed uh, bookmaker, in order to take bets on racing, you must allow a customer to get on $2,000 to win, $800 to place at you know the, the, the top-level meetings in the city, the, the so-called uh, metropolitan race days. And then the provincial race days, uh, it declines. I think it goes to $1,400 within place. Um, they, they found a way to deal with that. I don't know what's going to happen here, but um, you know, we are such a, uh, an immature market relative to where Australia is in that case. Um, they recognize the need and the importance to let customers on. So... Um, it's something to, to kind of keep in the back of your mind that, again, we don't have to reinvent the wheel if it comes to licensing bookmakers and requiring them to accept customers' action. Um, there's there's an opportunity there. Yeah, I don't think that that's it's going to – I don't think that will ever come <laughs> to pass here. I mean, the, the, the book, the sport, the big corporate books will, would fight that tooth and nail because they say, well, let's come into us next and – uh, I mean, I just would have a hard time. And, and listen, it's not like a racetrack's going, you know, the you, you know, racetrack's going to have to partner with someone to to set the markets on these things. It's not like the racetracks. I mean, a lot of them have a hard time setting morning lines that are remotely accurate. Yeah, so. and, and and to to the benefit of the the people who you know, Monmouth who is behind this and Dennis Dres and all that, and they they have brought in the Australian firm uh, called the Betmakers who facilitate this. Um, they've done this uh, for years. They run an integrity platform in Australia as well that is used by the stewards. Um, it is a it's, it's a pretty sharp group um, that I've been talking to on and off for the last three years or so. And when we first uh, when TIF was first getting going, uh, and we were talking about the need for fixed odds over two years ago. Um, we were having conversations with these guys because they were trying to come into America uh, at the same time. So uh, they've got a 10-year deal, basically, to manage fixed odds for New Jersey, uh, for New Jersey customers. So it's, it's a great thing. And uh, I know that there, there are some tracks that have already done deals that have agreed that their signal will be eligible to New Jersey customers. And you know, the thought here is that you're going to have racing directly aligned in the same wallet as other offerings, uh, as other sports. And right now, there are differences there between the paramutual offering and, um, you know, if you want to bet racing in New Jersey, all you've got is four NJ bets. Um, that's not going to be the case anymore. Anybody who has a license to do sports betting in New Jersey can offer racing if they strike the deals. Right. And uh, I know they've already got some of that in place. I think in New York, the they're not allowing the single wallet um, because of the difference between uh, what sports betting is considered and and paramutuals, um, which you would think, well, let's 
why can't we get some legislation to just uh, you know ease the pain there and, and make it possible because it would be best for for all parties really and you know it, but I mean dealing with, remember, de- is, de- dealing with legislatures is, is, is you this know. is for your American customers for your own customers that exist now in those states right so um, I, I made a reference to this yesterday when I um, highlighted that the, the, the bill had passed in the uh, Assembly and the Senate in New Jersey. And two or three people called me out on it like I was the devil for suggesting the tracks are, are offering fixed odds bets already. And I said, oh, yeah, I greatly apologize for using the word offer. The tracks themselves do not offer it. The bookmakers offer it. But almost all U.S. tracks are doing deals that enable fixed odds betting on U.S. races. It's just for customers outside of this country. I know that um, Gulfstream, we get, uh, the horsemen get, uh, the, the revenue split 50-50 between the track and the horseman, but it, it's not a very, it's a very small number. It's not a significant number at all, which yeah. which is why we get a 50-50 split. But, um, yeah, I guess there's other places that, uh, that aren't you know the tracks aren't giving them anything so you know it, it's just another it, it, it's it, it's like I, I just don't see the negative side to it I, and i do understand that uh you know if you're a serious player that the restrictions are probably going to hit you but um i mean i just like i said i, I don't see uh i don't see it being like the, the next uh you know answer to all our problems, but I also don't see it as really being a, a net negative either. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. And, and I, you know, the one tough thing in doing this on a state-by-state basis is that, uh, like, with the exchange way, you know, the exchanges that they had in, in New Jersey where it was only New Jersey residents and they were paying a much higher tax than uh, when you're playing against the foreign um, players, uh, they weren't able to to take a lot of of the U.S. tracks, so I think it's the fixed betting situation as it currently stands. It, it's only going to be Monmouth or uh, some of the the smaller non-monarch, non-CDI, non-Naira affiliated tracks. It, it it might be until we start seeing the numbers and they have a better handle on where things are. So I, I wouldn't count out greater expansion at some point in the future, but. Um, you know, Advantage Monmouth at this point. Advantage Monmouth, uh, they're the first mover. They, they take a pretty stark position on a lot of the hot issues of the day. Um, and we'll see how this one comes out. I am thinking overall this is a net long-term positive for horse racing. PIF has been in that camp from the beginning. This is product development. Um in isolation, is it alone going to be the the, the the bomb that we need to cure the the, the rash that we have suffered uh, for for years? No, um, but I think it's a step in the right direction, and we should uh, embrace it as such, and hope that it uh, hope that it does work out as such. Yep, I agree. I I agree, and uh, I mean we have to be open minded and. I mean, to just simply to uh, to just uh, you know try to pretend like the, 
the the minor handle gains that we've had um and i and i know like when handle is flat for years and years and years and then you get a 10 or 12 percent uh increase it, it it it's often you know lauded as this huge number but I mean, we're still lagging, and I, and I hate to be so negative all the time about things, but like, man, we're, we're still lagging way behind, and um, it just—I just wish that—and uh, this is a, you know, this is a wishing upon a star kind of deal. I wish that we could get our, our, for lack of better terms, our shit together in this business, and and people, uh, and organizations, and groups to actually work together. But it just—it just never happens, and and I don't—I I don't think it's going to happen. I just think that that's that's one of when when they finally write the the demise of of horse racing the obituary for horse racing in the united states i think that's going to be a, a huge symptom is that the tracks and the, the organizations just simply refuse to work together um and uh, i think as uh, the gambling landscape gets more cluttered and the competition grows I, I think that we'll wind up um you know doing more cannibalization of each other than uh than trying to, to circle the wagons and, and, and move everybody up a notch. I think that uh, you're going to see um, you're going to see jurisdictions, uh, you know, eat up other ones. I mean, you're kind of seeing it now. So um, it's it's uh, you know, there's so much. And, and this was a theme we talked about last night a little bit, too, is that. So much of what we love about horse racing is being taken from us. And I think that that is something that we just can't, as a person that, that has been doing this their whole life, it's hard to process that others don't feel as passionately about it as we do. So when Arlington Park is closed, uh, when Hollywood Park is closed, when um, you know the New Jersey circuit is down to uh, 45 or 55 days in the summertime, when, when there's no racing in New England, uh, when tracks, um, you know, uh, just, you know, literally don't put any effort into the racing product. Um, it, it's difficult for us to, you know, as people who who not only uh, are, are part of the racing industry, but are, are people that, you know, are passionate about it. And, and it's just, it's a difficult pill to swallow that um, a lot of the others that are controlling a lot of this industry and, and that are you know supposedly taking leadership roles uh just don't have that same feeling about it and uh uh this <laughs> it was it was more of a of a statement than a than a question or of any of, of any sorts but uh but it is frustrating when when you see um you know like uh, i think the, the great paradox is churchill downs in that uh, they've gotten a lot of kudos for their stance against uh, Mr. Baffert, um, and as a publicly traded company, it's 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 considerably um, more incumbent upon them to make that kind of move um, than than uh, you know, especially about you know their baby, um, the Derby, than it is for for other organizations, other groups, other tracks, but. You know, people want to say, wow, that, that's great. And they're really looking out for racing. And then you think they're going to take a wrecking ball to uh, Arlington Park. <laughs> so um, it's just one of those kind of things. And, you know, like, like as soon as the uh, HHR, uh, you know, the historical horse racing uh, issue was was kind of holding up 
uh, you know, what happened to Turfway as well. Uh, as soon as there was a doubt that maybe the HHR wasn't going to be legal, all of a sudden that big investment in Turfway was, was halted. You know, it, <laughs> there was no track being built if those things weren't passed. So it's just kind of... Um, it's just kind of, you know, for people like me who, who want to look at the big picture and who want to say, hey, how do we grow the game? How do we make things better? Um, it's it's a minefield out there trying to, um, to get people to work together for the common good. And that usually in that situation, someone has to sacrifice and no one wants to sacrifice. Uh, between us, I hope, uh, uh, and other well-intentioned people out there, I hope uh, you know, we just keep chipping away at this. Um, for, for the hopeful, for the optimists, we have seen some evolution in certain areas. We've seen an increase in Stewart's explanations of matters. We have seen um, uh, you know, places like uh, Churchill, Kentucky, Indiana, where the stewards come on the microphone after each uh, demotion and explain why they have done what they've done. Um, those are steps forward. They're baby steps, but they're, they're small positive steps. We're going to see some product development in a small market in, in terms of New Jersey, but uh, uh, we'll see what happens there. But we just keep chipping away at it and uh, keep pressing, and I, I hope we'll uh, we'll continue to see that improvement where uh, where it's needed. Yeah, that's true, and and uh, you know you, you just have to keep on keeping on. And and the one thing about this the horse racing industry is that uh, uh, one of the the chief characteristics of people who remain is is, is perseverance, and that uh, this is a, a a business of perseverance. It's it's a you know there's races run every day. Every single day, there's races run somewhere, and um, you know it's it's uh, you know if you're if you're on the the, the horseman side, your horses don't take vacations. Um, you know they don't take the weekends off. They they have to be taken care of uh, from a racetrack standpoint. Uh, there's simulcasting. There, there's all kinds of things um, you know that, that are going on at facilities on a on a daily basis, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a you just hope that um, that some of these things that the, the negative, you know, the negativity that that's been surrounding the business here for the last, you know, few months, um, it, it just, uh, you know, eventually it, it'll go away. But hopefully, you know, the the gains will be um, such that uh, you know people will will just not like hold their breath and, and, and wait for the storm clouds to, to roll past and then go back to business as usual. And, and that's happened pretty much since I've been involved. Um, that's yeah. kind of how things have always been, been dealt with. But, um, you know, there is, there is some optimism, hope, hope uh, and, and it is good that, the, you know, wagering is kind of trending up a little bit. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, there are areas of strength. Um, you know, Oaklawn Park is is a perfect example, and uh, it's it's an example of and yes, they, they, they've benefited greatly from um, alternate sources of revenue, but they've 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 invested in the racing side, and and that's you know the thing that, that I think is has made them um, you know really uh, you know. 
kind of move to the next level at that you know that circuit and that they've they've really invested heavily in the racing side and in in the the facility and uh, uh i mean it's it's i mean uh, a couple of weeks ago there was some consternation because they're extending their meat and i said you know only in horse racing <laughs> there's a, a a track that that does six hundred fifty thousand dollars a day and and uh purses given out uh extends their meat by two months and 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 certain horsemen are complaining about it and it's like mm. <laughs> you know like come on guys that's like complaining about hit paying taxes when you hit the powerball it's I mean, uh, this is this is one of our bright spots, and and yes, will it take away from something else? Yes, but that's you know we need to grow everything, and we need to stop being so, um, uh, you know, so scared. Is, is I guess saying no is easy, Chuck. Yeah, right. Saying no, being against something, that is far and away easy position to take. Saying yes. Um, working on a new project, taking on something different, coming at a long-standing problem from a different way—that's the hard part. True. And I don't—I don't blame the people who say no, uh, because it's so instinctual, particularly in this business. Um, it's just that you know, we could be so much better if we said yes a little more often. Yeah, no, no doubt about it, and. Uh... Uh, I, I'll be honest. One of the things that was a little bit disturbing to me was was your series that you did, uh, the twelve part series on wagering integrity. Because uh, I learned a lot. Um, some of it, of course, you know, was stuff that that, that I uh, you know we had known. But uh, there was a lot of really new ground that you covered in there. And I, I believe, I, and I've told quite a few people. I said, listen, go ahead and read the whole thing, and be prepared. <laughs> that some of the misconceptions that you have are are going to be, uh, you know, pretty blatant. Like you just can't believe some of the, um, you know, some of the information that you're providing in this series about how things literally haven't changed and in some ways have gotten worse uh, since the pick six scandal, where you know the guys went in after the fact and changed the tickets, and um, you know, there, there's. You know, the last few years when we've had a lot of these um, odds changes, the late odds moves, uh, it's it's gotten, there's been more talk about the process, the wagering process of a dollar being bet, depending on where it's bet and how it goes through the system and, and you know, non, you know, the, the, all those, you know, which, which is not really that interesting of a topic unless there is a, a, a scandal of some sort. But, um, you know, some of the stuff that you, you wrote, um, you know, you kind of, Put out there. Uh, I mean, I think I think the Mike Mahoney thing was really kind of you know when he was literally trying to uh, expose a, a weakness that he had found to try to make it better, and 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 all they wanted to do was like come after him. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of like, uh, and, and like, uh, and honestly, you need to read. Uh, you know, if you're listening out there, you really need to to read. Uh, uh, you know, Pat's. Pat's work here because it was really good but I mean it was just kind of like the uh, I, I just laughed when I read that because I'm like that's so racing that's so racing and the, like here I'm showing you it can be done and instead of saying oh thank you for helping us they wanted to go after him as, as a guy that you know was was doing something wrong it's 
I mean, I, I just, I, I couldn't say it better. Um, Mike and his, his experience, I'd say, was incredibly helpful in our um, research and providing us with some, some kind of greater insight as to some of the, the difficulties that he's had to deal with uh, over, over years as a professional player. I'm trying to get a uh, trying to get a better path, but I mean, he truly uncovered an issue. It had bothered him for months. Uh, he had suspected it for months. He couldn't get any movement on it, and when he finally proved it, um, it felt you know he felt uh, very much so that uh, they were coming after him more than anything, and, and he had to fight for his racing license in in, uh, in different states. So. Uh, but it's worth noting that the loophole that Mike exposed was fixed. It was eventually fixed. Um, to your point about the pick six and some things that are still going on, though, we did identify that the, the basic method in which superfecta bets are calculated is exactly the same as it was 20 years ago at Arlington Park. It was still what we what is called a late scan in the business, and a late scan is one where, when the first four finishes are known, they are identified. Um, they're sent out to all of the other um, all the betting sites. For example, let's just say that the first four are eleven one nine seven. They send out. Uh, you know, essentially a message through the system that says, hey, here's the Superfecta 11197. How many of you have winning tickets 11197? And then those sites report what they have. The problem is that um, the racetrack, the host, does not know who had 11197 before the race. They only know after the race. And, you know, look, um, Express Bet, to TVG, Twin Spires, is there any question that there's any issue there? No, I don't think so. Um, but what about all the other remote sites? You know, there's, there's maybe five, 600 individual brick-and-mortar sites that are betting into racing in, in some states. Are we certain that all of those machines, um, that all of the customer um, portals into betting are shutting down appropriately? There was a, a, a case of pass posting in this summer, uh, summer of 2020, last summer, where a, uh, a British race, um, there was a basically, a, it was during the pandemic, there was a remote shutoff involved. Uh, someone's internet connection, the person who was supposed to be shutting out the, shutting off the pool, uh, lost their internet connection, wasn't able to do it, and people could keep betting on the race. Now, the UK tote did the right thing and made changes. Um, they, uh, it was a little situational, um, but they, they caught what was going, and, and they actually refunded customers. They made some changes, and that's really good and really positive, but there still are issues. We, we, we wrote about um, how much monitoring is going on. I, I investigated this into the state of New York. Uh, there's a provision in the New York Rules of Racing about monitoring tote betting. And I, 
really made a lot of phone calls on this truck trying to find out who's really doing this, who's monitoring what when it comes to New York racing. And after many questions, the answers I basically got is that the only thing that's being monitored are transactions that are taking place at physical racetracks. So, for example, at Belmont for Belmont, that is being monitored. So there's, there's still a lot there. Um, there were a couple states, a couple, a couple commissions that were trying to get more into monitoring back in the early, uh, late 2000s. Basically never happened. Um, the technology wasn't there uh, on the betting system, and it hasn't been updated. It hasn't been enhanced and modernized. That's a problem. Uh, it continues to be a problem. It was before. It still is now. And, um, you know, do I think the majority of transactions that go through our systems are fair and on the level and without question? Yeah. But when you never hear publicly of any situation in America or almost no situation in America where there's problems, you know, trust us just doesn't work all the time. And uh, you need to build confidence over time. And that's something that, uh, you know, we're going to con- continue to push for. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's such a complicated, uh, formula these days with, with, money coming from so many different locations and um you know most of it coming in uh late it's not as though there's there's a whole lot of you know the time element and you know there's just so much of a like you said you know where's the, the how, how do you how do you who and how do you oversee this and um you know like you said with the racetracks owning the tow companies i mean it's it's self um, it's, it's more or less self-regulation. So, um, and it's important that, uh, this, I mean, these type of, I mean, anybody that, that's, uh, I spent half of the morning today trying to, uh, unhack my, uh, my email account. So any, anybody that's had any experience, um, on the internet has, has seen, you know, the ability of, of, uh, various uh, uh, people to, to get it into places where they shouldn't be. And I don't think that we should consider that uh, betting pools at a racetrack are, are any safer than literally anywhere else. Um, I mean, they can break in. They've hacked into the government, the Pentagon, the, the hospitals, the banks, uh, yeah. to nuclear power plants, all of which I would hope would have um, you know, top of the line uh, defense against against uh, you know cyber attacks, but um, uh, you know with with the you know, I mean, not, it's it's beyond the vast majority of money is bet you know through electronic means now. I mean, it, it's almost everything uh, is bet through electronic means. So um, it's it's you know, like I said, a lot of what you wrote was was really kind of. Uh, and I'm kind of a pessimistic person at, 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 in, when it comes to horse racing to start with. Um, and even I was kind of stunned that um, the things didn't seem to be quite as uh, safe as, as I assumed. Um, 
and that that was uh you know that was kind of an eye-opening thing and uh that that paper's still found at your website correct the thoroughbred ideas foundation yeah there's a there's a link right off the home page uh it's now wagering insecurity the full report uh is there all on one page and uh we will have a, a pdf of it coming out uh in about probably a week or two, um, it will be printable, readable, savable, downloadable. Um, so uh, we look forward to uh, to sharing that too. So there's there's more to come and more formats, and it'll reside there for a time. Yeah, I, I really suggest anybody who who's interested in you know who anybody who bets should read it. If you bet, it doesn't matter what level you bet, you should read it, and you should kind of find out. Um, you know a lot of uh, a lot of what what goes on, and um, hopefully, hopefully some of these loopholes are are closed, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we get to a situation. Um, and I know this is something that, that it's been explained a million times, but it's something that still bothers people, and that that is um, the late odds changes, and um, that is uh, I get it. I mean, it didn't happen. I mean, and we all know why. When the money was bet on track, it, it, it was a different situation. But, uh, but it is it, it it it's like I spend a lot of my wagering dollars betting on the Meadowlands, and there's some races at the Meadowlands where horses that look, you know, really solid at seven to five, you know, turn into three to five after a quarter mile, and a lot of them win anyways. I mean, it, you know, it seems like the late money there is better than it is in, in even in thoroughbreds. But it's it's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating to see, um, you know, that exact that was paying 18, 18, 18, 18, 18 across the wire, you know, 860. It's like, phew, like that, that, it just doesn't, it just feels like, man. Uh, there, there are ways to make it a little better. Um, that way in particular is, is by highlighting where the market is changing and really showing people. Because when they don't see it happen clearly, it it becomes um, the, the experience that you have and that I have and that lots of people have. Um, but you know, this is one one area where Hong Kong has really gotten it right. They you know basically require some of their professional syndicates to bet a little earlier, right, and to kind of cascade their money into the pools as opposed to dumping it all at once. Um, and they, they use a color-coded system to show where the market is changing. Um, and and that, that system works well. And, it, you know, sometimes people follow them, right? And, and they, they end up getting more public money as a result of it. Um, so it's, um, there, again, like I said about the other recommendations, there are examples to follow. It's not as though, you know, the challenge of how do we do that or how do we, you know, publicly report who bled or who was lame after a race. How, how do we do that? How, how do we pull this together? Mm-hmm. Geez, I could give you a list of 10 jurisdictions around the world, top-of-the-line racing uh, countries that do this every day. It's doable. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, it's, it's, it's a matter of effort in a lot of ways, and finances, of course. But, um, uh, you know, trying to make the game as good as we can and is is a goal. I mean, it's something that uh, you know a lot of a lot of people are, are really want to see, and 
I know that you guys do a lot of great work, and, and maybe people don't always agree with with you guys uh, with, with your, um, you know, with, with your your reports or, or whatever. It might find fault with some you know piece of here or, or section here, but in the end, it, it's a, it's a net positive, and and it's uh, you know highlighting some of the things that wouldn't otherwise be highlighted. So that that is always uh, you know something that's um, you know something that really needs to be. Uh, to be done and, and i'm happy that you guys are are doing it and uh i, I really thought uh <clears throat> i thought you knocked it out of the park with this last report and i'm not just <laughs> i'm not just kissing up to you but I, I really did i was um every time it came out i was like wow and, and the funny thing was you know <laughs> I, I had mentioned this to you a couple of weeks ago it's like man it's like the timing for your report coming out like it just everything like every huge news event in horse racing you know seemed like it, it coincided with with uh with the release of a of a new story of yours but um uh i, I actually would read it sometimes to, to take a break from you know the the the, the bob baffer chronicles <laughs> and i was like oh wow <clears throat> let, me, let me let me let me let me let me read about something else uh that that's that's non-related to that uh you know but um yeah, it was it was really good, and uh, uh, you know, I'm just uh, looking forward to to seeing what changes you know wind up being made because of it. Appreciate that, Chuck, as always, and you know, thanks for the time. And anytime, and uh, we'll check in uh, later this year, and you know, we'll see uh, see how things have changed, and, and see if uh, you know how the uh, if they're able to get you know, it seems pretty. Um, pretty ambitious to be able to get that uh, fixed odds betting up and running by the Haskell, which, you know, is like, what, three weeks away? So Yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, again, and, and, you know, easy to think it won't happen, but um, I, I think they'll have something in place, and uh, I feel pretty confident that uh, these guys will pull it off. So uh, they've been ready to go for a while, so it's just a matter of uh, crossing the eyes or crossing the teeth and down the eyes. Well, Pat, as always, I appreciate your time, and um, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll talk. Thanks, Chuck. All the best. All right. That's Pat Cummings of the Thurbred, uh, Thurbred Ideas Foundation, literally the only racing think tank that exists, um, trying to, uh, you know, trying trying to shed some light on issues that that need to have the lit, the, the light shed on them um and sometimes uh, some of the wagering uh stuff is is when you get to talking about adws and about source market fees and about um percentages here and host fees and uh, it, it gets a little you know make kind of make your head swim especially if you just want to make a bet but uh you know the devil is in the details and and the one thing that um you know that that report did show was like man we have not really fixed this system after that that pick six scandal um from the breeders cup and if you don't recall or you don't are not familiar with that just google breeders cup pick six scandal and you'll read something that you you almost won't believe in that uh the way the bets were processed in the, in the pick six um because you think okay i make a bet i push the button uh, it, it, it's all computerized and bang, 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 right? And it's not exactly how it works. And 
you know, this was a little, little less than 20 years ago. But people who worked, uh, guys who worked for the Toad Company, the company processing the bets, had discovered that, um, you know, there was an opportunity to place wagers and change wagers after the races were over. Um, and they did, and, and they got caught. Um, and uh, if, you, if you Google it, there's, there's some really fascinating articles and stories about it. But um, you would have thought that would have been a, a real warning shot that uh, we needed to really change the way things are done. And it didn't really happen. So, um, you know, thank, thankfully these guys are, are, are doing the work. And, and hopefully, um, and hopefully uh, the wagering... The oversight will will continue to uh, to be increased, and uh, I mean we don't need more scandals. If there's anything we we don't need, it, it's it's scandals, and uh, especially from from the wagering standpoint, uh, it's tough enough to be a, a, a horse racing player um, to not have uh, really dirty things going on. But um, you know, I I can see Pat's point with the. The disqualifications. I just don't know if the will or the um, the will exists in this country to change, and it would take a lot of people working together, and that's something the horse racing just is not good at. We're just not good at it, and uh, implementing them would, is going to be difficult and. And, he, you know, he's not wrong about saying that, you know, perfection can't be the, um, the standard because obviously it's, it's a, it's a, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of nebulous issues and in, in the people's, you know, different people's versions of, of fouls or interference are different. And, but, um, you know. We need to, to we need to work on it at the very least at the very least there should be more transparency in in why decisions are made and uh, I think that is something that is not going to really cost a whole lot of money and that's and listen it, it sucks but it's the truth a lot of what um, holds things back is is financial it's financial and the tracks don't want to spend extra money. The states don't want to spend extra money. So, uh, you know, being transparent about why you took a horse down, explaining it, having reports about it, um, those things, you know, explaining the rule that was broken, why it's the rule in this, you know, this jurisdiction, why it might have been different somewhere else. I mean, that that's not that difficult. It doesn't cost you money. So that that's something that really needs to be done. And... Um, I think that people who are making these decisions should show their face. And if you really believe in the decision, then then, then back it and say why. And um, I might not agree. It's not like we're always going to say, oh, okay, we get it now. I mean, we still might say, well, you know, I don't agree. But but that, that level of transparency should should exist. It really should. It's, it's not that hard to do. Um, and some tracks, uh, Kentucky has... Uh, I think maybe Iowa or somewhere like that is, is done in something as well. So it can be done, and, and it really needs to be done. Um, last night we talked a little bit about uh, 
this weekend, the Stephen Foster card uh, at Churchill, closing week of Churchill, closing weekend. There's a really, really strong race on Friday, um, the Kelly's Landing, and Kelly's Landing is a horse that haunts me, <laughs> in that uh, I finished second to him twice, and and stakes at Churchill both times, shading 108 um, for six furlongs and losing. I said, uh, the Battle One was the only horse to ever run consecutive races under 108 and lose on the dirt. Um, but uh, the Kelly's Landing is the return of, of Art Collector, uh, and it's a solid field. It's a really strong field um, for a listed stake on a, on a weekday. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, Canterbury has got uh, the Canterbury, I don't know, turf clad, turf turf deal. There's a bunch of stakes. Uh, so, you know, a Wednesday night full of stake races from Canterbury. They have some really low takeout uh, wagers, and it's, um, you know, they're trying really hard. And uh, the racing is, you know, it's pretty decent. They have big fields and, um, you know, pretty competitive racing. And, you know, give it a, give it a shout. Take a look at it and, uh, you know, like we can't complain and 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 talk about um you know high takeout and then ignore the low takeout tracks so uh give it a shot and uh you know see what happens and um you know it's it's a it's a slow period i mean until saratoga opens up um until delmar opens up it's going to be slow and yeah you know santa anita's closed and you have, uh, you know, Churchill closing. Belmont has a big weekend, uh, the July 4th weekend coming up, the Belmont, uh, all those, uh, the Belmont Turf Festival. But, um, you know, it's kind of a quiet time. But Bob Baffert didn't sue anybody this week. He did lose. He he, he was running for re-election to the uh, Thoroughbred Owners of California, uh, the Horsemen's Board in the state of Southern California, uh, no, actually, state of California, there's Southern and Northern California people on it, and Mr. Baffert lost. He did not win. He was seventh out of uh, out of eight. Uh, I think the first five all got on there. And to be honest, and, and I don't want to like act like I'm beating up on the guy every week, but I mean, honestly, it's probably a beneficial thing that he's not on that board, um, especially in light of the stories. That, uh, that have come out recently. That, well, the story in the Washington Post, uh, a lot of which was not really, new, you know, new news. Um, but um, you know, sometimes it's just better to, uh, you know, to not be in the public's eye. And being involved in a thoroughbred representation group um, when you're as embattled as he is is probably just not worth it for any of the people involved. That being said, the uh, the lawsuits and the, the the controversy from the 2021 Kentucky Derby is is way far from over. It's going to be a story for a long, long time. Um, you know, we've seen uh, just in the cases, uh, of course, the COVID situation had a big. Um, a big part, to, you know, a big role to play in, in, in the Jason Service and, and George Navarro cases and, and a lot of the uh, other cases involved with that uh, situation, um, you know, haven't even gotten started. 
So, you know, it just takes when once the legal process takes a long time to get to get anything going, and I'm still not sure why the Kentucky Racing Commission they they literally haven't said anything yet. I mean, they haven't set a hearing date, as far as I know. I haven't seen anything. There's been nothing publicly reported, and um, I, I don't exactly know why uh, they're waiting. I don't know if it has to do with this additional testing, which if the split sample came back positive shouldn't really matter to the Kentucky Racing Commission and that they should be able to make the ruling and any information brought out from this case is is going to have to, you know, I would think would be uh, something that would be brought up on appeal. I, I don't exactly know. I know that the lawyers have talked about mitigating circumstances causing, uh, you know, will allow them to not disqualify the horse. Uh, I would say that's about a million to one. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess this is, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but, uh, no one seems to, to know when the Kentucky Horse Race Commission is going to make a move. Um, so until they do, we're, uh, we're kind of in limbo. Anyways, thank you for everyone for listening. Thank you for Pat Cummings for, for coming on and, uh, and talking about, uh, about the disqualifications and, uh, the way things are done. Um, other places and, and a little bit about fixed bets, uh, you know, fixed fixed odds betting. Um, thank you to uh, Casey as as always for uh, manning the the behind the scenes, uh, the mechanics, uh, getting us on the air. Um, next week I will not be here. We will not uh, we will not have a show next uh, Tuesday, um, but we will be back the following Tuesday. So. Um, we'll, uh, July, we'll see you in July. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. From BRL Equine, the people that bring you EPO Equine, Unlock and Bleeder Shield, now comes Flexify HA, the most advanced scientifically based joint supplement on the market. To find out more, contact me, Joseph Volante, at 215-501-6880. To be the best, give them only the best. BRL Equine. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast.